them up on the inside. You know, these guys are running after the adrenaline in extraordinary ways. And there is no comparison on the planet for God getting a hold of you. Amen? Yeah. Amen. Come on. If you're not in a small group, get in a small group. This is the book, After God's Own Heart by Mike Bickle. You can pick it up cheap. Uh, if you buy it on Kindle, it's like 3 or $4, I've heard. So uh, check it out. Continuing this week in the series, chapter three is the gaze that stuns the heart. And so today we're going to talk about how as we look at God, as we look into who God is, that it not only stuns our heart, but it changes our heart. God's desire is to transform us. God's desire, God God comes to us. God will take us any way we are. It doesn't matter how broke you are. It doesn't matter what you've done. It doesn't matter how much sin you've committed. God takes you just the way you are. It's a glorious thing. It's the love of God that he takes us and he accepts us exactly the way we are. We don't have to do anything. There's nothing that we can do physically, emotionally, spiritually. There is nothing that we can do to cause God to love us even one ounce more than he already does. It's awesome. It's awesome. But the beautiful thing is that God loves us so much that he don't want to leave us that way. He doesn't want to leave us the way that he found us because he knows that we're in a broken condition and he wants to transform us into his image and into his likeness. And how does he do that? The gaze that stuns the heart. Let's look at this scripture, 2 Corinthians chapter 3, starting in verse 13. It says, unlike Moses, who put a veil over his face so that the children of Israel could not look steadily at the end of what was passing away, but their minds were blinded. Just in case you don't understand what he's talking about here, Paul's writing, and he's talking about the veil that's upon the hearts of the unbeliever, and he's comparing it back to Moses. Moses ascended the mountain, and Moses went up on the mountain, and Moses spent time in the presence of God, and Moses' face literally shone. There was a light that emanated from Moses' face, and the Israelites couldn't look at Moses, and so Moses had to put a veil over his face so that the the people of Israel could look at Moses. He had to put a veil. Can you imagine? who put a veil over his face so that the children of Israel could not look steadily at the end that was passing away, but their mind was blinded. For until this day, the same veil remains unlifted in the reading of the Old Testament because the veil is taken away in Christ. There is a glory of God that we can only behold when we accept Jesus Christ as our Savior. But when we have... When we have accepted Jesus Christ as our Savior, the veil is removed. I mean, this isn't rocket science. The veil is removed. But even to this day, when Moses is read, a veil lies on their heart, those who don't believe in Christ. Nevertheless, when one turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. Now, the Lord is spirit, and where the spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. Amen. This just gets better. The veil is taken away. And where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. And then he writes this, and this is, this is our scripture for today. But we 
all with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as by the Spirit of the Lord. Now, we've prob- you may have heard this scripture before. You may have read this scripture before. You've, you may have memorized this scripture. You may, you may be able to quote this scripture. This isn't one of the ones that I quote regularly. So I, I'd have a little bit of trouble. I'd probably miss a couple of words. But this is fantastic. This is just amazing. But we all, all of us, with unveiled face, with no more veil between us and God, behold God. We get to look at who God is as in a mirror, beholding the glory of the Lord. We get to look at the glory of God. This is what Jesus did for us. There's no longer a veil. There's no longer a question. There's no longer of like, man, what does it look like? No, the veil's gone and we get to understand fully who God is. We get to see the glory of God. Beholding as in a mirror, it says. And God and we are being transformed in the same image from glory to glory. We are being transformed into the same image of who God is. We are being transformed from the glory that we currently walk in into the glory that God wants us to walk in. And we're being transformed from the glory that he's caused us to walk in to the next level of glory that he wants us to walk in. And we're being transformed from that glory that we've been transformed to be able to walk in to the next level of glory that we're going to be able to walk in. And it's all by his grace. It's all by his strength. It's all by him. And how do we do this? How do we keep going from glory to glory to glory? By beholding as in a mirror, the glory of the Lord, by continually looking at and beholding who God is. This is fantastic. This is fantastic. This is good news. This is great news. Listen, there's no 10-step process. There's no hoops to jump through. There's no yo-yos that we've got to learn. You know, the yo-yo, you had to, I, I can never get it. I, I mean, it would come back up, but then you do the tricks to walk the dog and cradle thing. I can never get it. I just always made a mess. I can never learn how to, there is no learning curve. You look at God and he transforms you. You look at God. You behold God. You take time to understand who he is, to appreciate him, to see the depth of who he is, and he changes you. We sang that song, Reckless Love. We are beholding the Lord when we sing that song. Why? Because that song is drawn from Scripture. Okay, we could put on secular music that's not talking about Scripture, and we're not going to be beholding the glory of God. But when, we, when we're listening to worship music that's written from the Word of God, that God loves us so much that He'll move every mountain, that God loves us so much that He'll tear down every wall, that God loves us so much that He'll remove every hindrance in your life. We're understanding who God is, and when we begin to understand who God is, when we begin to behold Him, and we behold His glory, and we behold the love of God, when we gain this understanding of the love of God, our hearts become transformed. And then we can step into a place where we love the way that He loves. And so today I want to talk to you 
a lot about, not a little about, a lot about beholding God. Because this is what, we, this is what chapter 3 is all about. Are we beholding God? Are we, are we looking into the person of who God is to see him, to understand him, so that he can transform us? I'm going to call Pastor Tom up. I'm going to need that microphone. I'm going to call Pastor Tom up. I want him to share with you a testimony from his life. You know, I've told Pastor Tom stories before, and I've told some of them pretty well. This story, I mean, I know the story. That's why I knew to ask him to tell this story. But I don't know all the details that well. And honestly, if I were to tell this story, I wouldn't do it justice because it happened to him and not to me. And so I want Pastor Tom to share this story. It's a story about when he was visited by Jesus. Go ahead. Amen. Thank you, Pastor Matt. Just as a father helps his child grow and to become everything that he's intended to be, my journey with the Lord and my destiny was to pastor. I was very, very young in the Lord. This is probably going back into the 70s. And I was locked into a, um, a mindset that's so common to so many of us. I knew that all of us have sinned and all of us have fallen short of the glory of God. And so I regarded myself as that, as a sinner. That was okay. That understanding was okay to come to Christ. But for me to grow in the Lord, that mindset had to be broken. And it was a very, very strong mindset for me. If there were nothing wrong with me and I regarded myself as a, as a handicapped person, then for the rest of my life, I would live as such. And so that mentality handicapped me. I can tell you in 40-some years, there are only not even a handful of experiences this sacred. I was drawn to a, a church service uh, in, a, in uh, I think it was in somewhere down in Poughkeepsie or Kingston. I, I can't recall exactly the name of the church or where I was, but I was drawn to that service. And there was a, a wonderful anointing where the pre- you just knew the presence of the Lord was there in a very unusual, in a very different way. And I wasn't used to this type of environment. I was very young in the Lord. And, uh, um, and as we were worshiping the Lord, I saw I was, I was in the very, very back of the church, and I was looking toward the altar. I recall it was a church with pews. I... All of a sudden, unexpectedly, I saw the appearance of the Lord on the altar. Everything in me wanted to see his face. I was stunned. Whether I was in the body, out of the body, whether it was an open vision, a closed vision, I couldn't tell you. All I know is I saw the the image of the bodily form of the Lord Jesus. And I saw him in his eyes. I couldn't see his face. I wanted to. But I knew that his eyes locked onto me like a laser. And the minute his eyes locked onto me, my head went down. Because even with my head down, I saw the Lord walking across the platform like this. 
and then walking down, and I knew, I knew he was coming to me. And as he came to me, as he, the closer he got, I started weeping uncontrollably. And I found myself saying, Lord, just like Peter uh, said, you know, Lord, I'm not worthy. Lord, I'm not worthy. Lord, don't come near me. Lord, I'm a sinner. Lord, I'm a sinner. Lord, stay away from me. Lord, I'm a sinner. And I, and I was weeping and sobbing. And, and, I, and as much as I wanted the Lord to embrace me, I, I just said, Lord, I'm a sinner. And my head was down, and I was crying, um, and I felt the tangible touch of the Lord on my chin. And, and as he was lifting my head up, I wanted so much to see his face. As he was lifting my head up, I heard these words in, in my spirit, words that came from the Bible that I had not yet read as a young Christian. And it was out of 2 Corinthians chapter 5, Verse 21, he made Christ who knew no sin to be sin on my behalf so that in him we would become the righteousness of God. That is, we would be made acceptable to him and placed in a right relationship with him by his gracious loving kindness. I'm reading this to you out of the Amplified, but all I heard in my spirit was, he, don't you know, he who knew no sin became sin for me that I might become the righteousness of God in Christ. And I heard the Lord say to me, in the most loving yet in the most stern way, don't ever call yourself a sinner again. I made you to be the righteousness of God in Christ. That doesn't mean that I never sinned again. But if I viewed myself as handicapped, I would never conduct life in a fashion uh, of, of, a well, uh, of a man who is well. Something broke in me. It broke in me. I didn't view myself as a sinner. There was such a responsibility that came over me to not use my liberty as an opportunity to sin anymore. I wasn't glib. I wasn't like, yo, I'm the righteousness of God in Christ. I wasn't glib. I, I came up higher. The Lord brought me up higher. I felt responsible to live holy in a way that I had never felt before. And the appreciation for what the Lord has done for me. The fact that I'm saved by grace, not by works. The fact that he did this for me. The fact that he would step out of the realm of eternity and do that for me to 40-some years later, I, I weep when I think of what he did for me. Only a handful of times has the Lord ever uh, come to me like that. But um, the experience is not important as much as what God, the, the act of God's love to transform me is that important. Amen. Thank you, Pastor. Amen. Thank you, Pastor Tom. Amen. <clears throat> How many of you would like to have a visitation from the Lord like that? Yeah? 
I was interesting. Um, I, I was reading a book. I, this was years ago. I don't even name, I don't know the name of the book. I think it was a book. It might have been a sermon I heard. Anyways, I, was, I heard, I, we'll just go with the book. I was reading this book, and the guy was talking about he had this desire to want to see the Lord in a tangible vision like that. And the Lord spoke to him after he asked for the vision and said, if I show you myself like that, it'll delay your ministry five years. Are you still okay with that? So, you know, anybody, anybody would probably be like, yeah, what's ministry, right? Like, no. But honestly, if you have the heart of Jesus and you understand that a visitation like that could put you out of being able to serve him, if you had the heart of Jesus, you'd, you'd probably say no. Because it's more important that I serve him than that I see him. If you have the heart of Jesus, it'll be more important for you to serve him than to see him. I'll see him when I get to heaven forever and ever and ever and ever and ever. Now, if you listen carefully to what Pastor Tom said, he saw the Lord and it changed him. He beheld the image of Jesus and it changed the way he lived for the rest of his life. It did two things. Number one, it transformed his thought pattern from I'm a sinner to I am the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus, which we have to understand if we're going to move forward in Christ. He gained that understanding because the Lord spoke that word to him audibly. Unbelievable. Secondly, it empowered him, this beholding of the Lord, this looking at God, this seeing who he was, empowered him to live and not sin. When we see Jesus, we will live and we will not sin. The more we get to know Jesus, the less we're going to want to sin. The more in love we get with Jesus, the less we're going to want to sin. The more in love we are, it no longer becomes a duty. I'm in love with my wife. It is not a duty for me to make her coffee in the morning, to bring her coffee in the morning. I am in love with my wife. It is not a duty for me. To, I am just knocking myself out. How can, honey, how can I serve you? What can I do for you? I'm going to clean the kitchen because I know that that's what you like. I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm just looking for ways that I can make her happy. It's not because I'm task oriented. I'm the least task oriented person on the planet. I am goal oriented. I'm goal-oriented. I have goals, and we'll get to the goals. We'll achieve the goals. Achieving the goals require tasks. But what happens is achieving goal A requires 100 tasks. I'll achieve 85 of them and leave the other 15 for others. I'm, I'm a delegator by nature. I just God's made me this way. It's for your benefit that I leave this stuff. <laughs> Tell myself that. Tell myself that. God wants to transform us. He wants to give us his joy, his peace, his hope. He wants these things to be the earmark of our life. When people look at you, do they say, man, he's got joy. Man, there's a hope in that person that I've not seen often. You know, there's such a kindness about that guy. It doesn't even have to be you. It's not your joy. It's God's joy. 
We don't, it's not something you can work up in yourself. You don't create this in your spirit. You dwell with the Holy Spirit and God deposits it in you. You, you, you behold him. You behold him by reading scripture and he reveals himself to you. And then you become like him. Listen, I've, I'd love to have a visitation like that. I've never had a visitation like that. How can you become a pastor and not have a visitation like that? I've never had a visitation like that. Listen, it's not for lack of trying. It's not for lack of spending time in prayer. I've spent more time in prayer. I've done 40-day fast. We fasted half a year one year. It's not for lack of effort, and it's not that I'm, I have this effort. It's not like I have this great desire that I have to see the Lord. I have this desire to fellowship with God, and I do fellowship with God often and regularly, but I've never come to a place of that visitation. I've been in meetings. I've, he went to a meeting. I've been in meetings. I've been in meetings. All over the nation, I've been in meetings. 450,000 young people gathered on the mall in D.C., and I was there. What an honor to be in a gathering of 450,000 people worshiping Jesus, people from all over the planet. The Australians showed up at 2 a.m. Worship didn't start till 7 The Australians showed up at 2 a.m. Worship didn't start till 7. <laughs> and we, get, we have trouble getting here for 10. Listen, I'm not calling anybody out, but how are we going to see the Lord if we're showing up late? I, I have to tell you, we just came from two fantastic conferences. We went to Bethel Conference, Open Heavens Conference. Bethel's, Bethel's worship music is amazing. Actually, it was debilitating because when we later went to the M no, I'm not kidding. It's debilitating because later when we went to the MFI conference, the whole first, set, the whole first worship set, I was like, nah, it's just not as good. That's not God. That's not God. You can have a preference. I prefer this music. I prefer that music. But when your preference comes to the point where I'm not going to worship today, now you've walked into, now you're, now you're in sin. That's sin. Our preference should never call us to a place where we don't worship. That's not even where I was going. By the way, we have, can I just tell you that we have some of the best worship in this church? We have some of the best worship in this church, in this church. I, I may be biased. I, several of the musicians are my children. I may be biased, but I'm not. This is my church. I may be biased. This is my church, but I'm not. I've been, I've been to a lot of churches. I've been to um, a lot of churches in the area. I've been to a lot of churches, different places. This is really, really, really good worship. Like, I just, and I don't have a, a problem going other places and worshiping because I have a heart of worship. I'm taking way too long on this worship thing, but somebody needs it today. Everything we do brings us back to one point, that we worship God. When the Israelites were, when, when, when God sent Moses to deliver the Israelites, what did he say? Let them, let them leave Egypt that they might come to the mountain of God, that they might worship me. Romans 12, let your, let, let, your, let your very life be a, 
a, a living sacrifice, and this will be your reasonable act of worship. Come on. It's about worship. Everything we do brings us back to worship. We're going to behold God better, and then we're just going to want to worship him more. The scene in Revelation 4 of worship around the throne, day and night, night and day. Okay, let me get back. God wants you to have peace, joy, love, kindness. He wants you to have all of these things. And as we behold God, we become like God. As we read about him in the scriptures, God is, God is, there is joy forevermore in the presence of God. God, I need some joy. I'm going to get into your presence. God, I need your joy. I'm going to get into your presence. There are pleasures forevermore at your right hand. God, I don't know what these pleasures are that you're talking about in Psalm 16, but I want some. And so I'm going to spend some time in your word seeking out what these pleasures might be. God, I need peace. How do I get peace? The fruit of the Spirit. Galatians 5.22, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. The more I'm with God, the more I have all of the fruits of the Spirit. God, I need need peace. There is a peace giver. His name is Jesus. Jesus himself is peace. If Jesus is with you and I'm in you and you're taking him in, you can't help but to take in peace. The Bible says, I am the light of the world. We sang that song about light. I am the light of the world. Light dispels darkness. When you walk into the room, you should be an atmosphere changer. That is something we got to understand about light and darkness. Light has power over darkness. Darkness has no power over light. If we were to turn off every light in this place and make this room completely pitch black and we were to light one candle, that, that light would shine throughout the darkness. And in the farthest corner of the room, you'd be able to see something, even though it may be very little. The light has, has dispelled the darkness. It, had pu- it has pushed it back. Conversely, let's do the same thing. We turn out all the lights. We light the candle. And so now we've dispelled the darkness. We've pushed it back. And so in that closet, though, there's no light. There's only darkness. So if we open that darkness, does the room get darker? No. Nothing changes. As a matter of fact, the light just continues to go into that closet, and it dispels the darkness in there. Darkness has no power over light. Light has power over darkness. God is light, and God puts his light in you, and you are the light of the world. And as you walk into these places in your life, be it work, the grocery market, uh, the coffee shop, wherever you find yourself, you should be displacing the darkness. You have been given power. Jesus said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me, and now it's yours. Go and preach the gospel. All authority. Some authority, you know, over um, happy people and, and those who are mostly in a good mood, you have power over. No, that's not what my word says. It says all authority. I don't walk into a room being like, yo, yo, you, you need to stop. 
because I've got the power. No, I walk in in my very presence oftentimes. Your very presence will just dispel. Cause, have you ever noticed? Have you ever noticed that people come into your presence and they're different than they are normally? It's kind of it's kind of a funny thing. You've kind of you kind of got to really watch it to see this. But people will be behaving one way, and then they'll come over to talk to you, and they talk a different way. People will be behaving one way, or you know, you go to have a fam, uh, uh, you go to have family dinner at, at your brother's house, and it's like, it, it, it's crazy. Things get out of hand. But that same dinner with the same people happens at your house, and everything's calm. It's the spirit of God that you have in your house. It's the authority as a believer that you have over your, your place, your residence. There is an authority that Jesus has given us to walk in. How do we get there? By beholding who he is. By beholding him, by just getting closer to him. I told you, I didn't ever have, a, I didn't ever have an encounter like Pastor Thomas had. My encounters were small. My encounters, you know, you could say in, in the comparison, by comparison, they were insignificant. One encounter, one encounter happened for me right here. One encounter happened for me right there is the day I got saved. One encounter happened for me right here. It was after my girlfriend, my now wife, got pregnant. And I was full of shame. And I was full of like, oh my God, what now? And the Lord met me right there in that place, right here, by the, right here on this corner of the altar. He met me right here. And he said, you're my child. I've got this. We'll do this together. Because that's what I asked for. I said, God, I'm, I'm, out of, I'm out of control here. I need you to come and help me. And he said, we've got this. And so the Lord met me. He met me in my college dorm room as I sought to read the word and my Bible broke at Matthew chapter 7. It's a good place for your Bible to break. <laughs> as a young believer, it's the best place for your Bible to break. Matthew chapter 7. It's the conclusion of Jesus' first public sermon. It's, it's Christianity 101. When you pray, when you fast, when you give. What do I need to do to come higher as a Christian? Pray, fast, give. The Lord met me as I read the first two verses that I memorized, Matthew 7, 14, Matthew 7, 21. My Bible broke at Matthew chapter 7. He met me there. The Lord met me in prayer. We would meet here on Saturday nights years ago. We would meet here on Saturday nights. The men would. We prayed. And the Lord met me in prayer. Conferences. I can talk, I've been to thousands, I don't know, I've been to a whole bunch of conferences. As a youth pastor, it was my job to take the youth to youth conference every year. It was good. I've been to other local conferences. I've been to a few bigger conferences. They're fine. Uh, you, don't really, you don't really meet with the Lord at conference. You don't, you know, they're good. They're a good place to go. They're a good place to get, you know, pumped up, to get your faith pumped up. But you know where God meets you? He meets you in the secret place. He meets you in the secret place. My, my most extraordinary times with the Lord have always been when I've gotten one-on-one -on -one with Jesus. Right there when I got saved, here I was one-on-one -on -one with Jesus. In my dorm room, I'm one-on-one -on -one with Jesus. In my prayer room, I'm one-on-one -on -one with Jesus. Recently, I, I went to seek the Lord for a day. Pastor Tom told me I need to do this every week. One, take one day and go and seek the Lord. This was his instruction to me as becoming a senior pastor. Take one day and go and seek the Lord. I haven't done that very well. He told me to do it once a week. I'd get it about once a month. So I'm behind, but you know, it was his instruction. <laughs> I'm seeking the Lord 
And I'm, I'm simply, uh, I'm in this place, this remote place. I'm not going to tell you where it is because you're not going to find me there. You're not going to hunt me down. <laughs> I'm in this place, and I'm, I'm in the presence of the Lord. It's outside, and I'm laying on this deck, and I'm just like, the presence of God is just washing over me. The presence of God is just washing over me. And I met with the Lord. I, it, it's not as fantastic as Pastor Tom's story. It's not. It's not. But I meet with the Lord regularly. I behold who he is. I am hunting him down. And it says, it says, in, it says in Isaiah, when you seek me with all of your heart, then you will find me. Listen, listen. Psalm 27 is later in like chapter 12. It says, your word said, your word said to seek you, O Lord. Lord, I'm going to seek you. I'm going to find you. Because I'm going to seek you with all of my heart. God, there is nothing. God, I draw the line in the sand today. I'm not going to be denied. I am going to get a hold of Jesus. I'm going to apprehend him. I'm going to behold him. No matter what it takes, no matter what the cost, I, I, I won't watch TV. I won't watch football. I won't do whatever it takes. Whatever's standing in my way of spending time with Jesus, it's got to go because I've got to get a hold of Jesus. And when you see him, you will be transformed. You will be filled with joy. You will be filled with peace. You will be filled with light. You'll be filled with everything you've ever wanted and you didn't know how to get. This is the glorious life that he's talked about. It's the peace, the love, the joy. Come on. You can't buy this stuff. You can't buy it. You can't buy joy. You can buy happiness which fades the moment you run out of money or stuff. Or even sometimes you have the money and the stuff and you're still not happy. I've seen that. But you can't buy joy. You can't buy peace. There's no amount of money in the world that's going to make you not worry. Jesus said, don't worry. How many of us worry? Jesus said, don't do it, and we do it. So is that sin? Pretty much. Jesus said, don't do it. It's a message for another day. Are we atmosphere changers? Listen, it, the enemy, if the enemy can't stop you, at least he'll distract you. If the enemy can't stop you, because he's not stopping me. I, I'm, I, I'm past having doubts. I've made my decision. I've drawn the line in the sand. For me, for me and my family, we will live for Christ. We will follow Christ. The decision's been made. It's been proclaimed. There's, there's not, I, I can't imagine anything that the, that the enemy could ever do that's going to get me off track. I mean, I'm sure he'll probably try. But he, if he can't cause me to be fully outright sin, then at least I can distract him and I can cause him to be less effectual. This is the, the if we go to the story of the wheats and the tares, these are the ones that fell among the thorns. And the cares of life and the deceitfulness of riches and the desire for other things. How many of us are desiring something other than the full will of God in our life? I'll serve God, but first I want my career. I'll serve God, but first I want the new car. I'll serve God, but first I want fill in the blank. A better social media status. <laughs> Oh, I don't know why I threw that out there. It's bad. 
Where does this lead us? Where does this lead us? What does this look like? You know, I've heard people say, you can be, I've heard people say this, and I think it's wrong. I've heard people say, you can be so heavenly minded that you're no earthly good, right? How many of you heard that? You've been a Christian for, for a few years, you've heard that. So heavenly minded that you're no earthly good. I, I, think, I think this, okay, so I, I think that that can be true. You know, I think that you can be so heavenly minded that you allow yourself to, be, to become weird, and then you're no earthly good. That's true. That's very true. If you're going to become weird, I'm going to, come on, we're Pentecostals here, right? Pentecostals can become weird. If you're going to become weird, then you're not going to help at all. You'll be a hindrance. But I do believe this. I, believe, I do believe that I can be so heavenly minded that I'm earthly incredible. This is the story of my life, that I'm so heavenly minded that I'm earthly incredible. People look at me and say, what is it about your life? Hey, you seem awfully happy. How can you be so carefree when the world is blowing up all around you? Because the storms, listen, I've been a Christian for 27 years, 28 years, something like that. Stop counting. I've been a Christian for a long time, and I know this, that the storms do not stop. Pastor Tom, do the storms stop? Pastor Tom's been saved as long as I've been alive. He got saved the year I was born. The storms do not stop. Okay, so, so that's the bad news. The storms don't stop because life is life, right? But there's good news. Who wants the good news? The good news is that Jesus gives us peace in the midst of the storm. The waves are raging. The wind is raging. And I'm just like walking on the waves. And I'm like, hey, what's up, guys? Waves, waves. What's up, guys? How you doing? Waves, waves. Why aren't you guys across the river yet? You know, we said we're going to the other side, not stop in the middle. <laughs> we're going to die, Jesus. Waves. All right, quit it. We're going to the other side. We're going to the other side. The waves, the storms... Psalm 23 says, God prepares a table in the midst of my enemies. Oh, God, but you could deliver me from my enemies. Yeah, but the, the trial comes for a reason. The trial's there for a reason. We can consider it pure joy when we come into various trials because the testing of our faith develops perseverance, and perseverance must have its full work so that we may be mature and complete, lacking no good thing. There's no other way to get to maturity except to come through trials and storms and tribulations. The storms aren't going to stop, but man, you're going to look beautiful because of them. Come on. The trials aren't going to stop, but you're, you can look beautiful because of them. Oh. This is where, we, this is where we're like, bring it on. No, I, I don't know that I have ever done that. I don't. Oh, Lord Jesus. All right, don't invite the storm. But honestly... Because it's going to make us beautiful. How do we get to maturity? By weathering the storm. By learning to trust Jesus in the midst of the storm. Pastor Matt, I just don't understand. Yeah, that's why it's called faith. If God explained everything, it wouldn't be a walk of faith. It'd be a walk of understanding. 
We've been reading this book for 2,000 years. They've been arguing over this book for 2,000 years. There have been theological debates and discussions over this book and what it says for 2,000 years. They're not going to figure it out anytime soon. <laughs> Telling you. You know why? You guys should know why. You know why? Because it's not about a system. It's never been about a system. They tried that in the Old Testament. If it was about a system, Jesus wouldn't have had to die on the cross. This is about a person. This is the only book in the world where the author is in love with its reader every single time. The author is in love with you. And the whole purpose why we read this isn't that we gain knowledge and be able to write out theology. The whole purpose, I mean, yes, we want to have good theology. The Bible tells us to do that. The whole purpose is to reveal Jesus. The whole purpose is to reveal his heart, to reveal what he looks like. Here's my heart. Every single day. And we're just like, ah, I don't have time today. We take it for granted. You know, we were, we were, just, in, uh, we were just on the West Coast, and so I'll tell you, I'll tell you, all right, I'll, let me finish quick. You know what it means when a pastor says that he's about to finish? Absolutely nothing. So <laughs> we flew into Sacramento. We drove up uh, to Redding, went to Bethel. And so that was all fields. It was awesome to see. I, I'm a plant guy, so we're looking at almond trees and olive trees. And I'm, I'm enamored by the, by the uh, produce that's being produced, the, the vegetables that are being produced. You know, I'm just, I'm in love with this stuff. Then we drove through the mountains. We saw a burned out area. We we're on our way to the coast. Then we drove up the coast. That was beautiful. We hit the sequoias. Oh my gosh. So then... We, we went, and then we left, and we were going over to Portland, and as we got closer to Portland, we actually had weather that was more like what it is here, and there were some leaves that were changing. Well, let me tell you something. The leaves that were changing there were nothing like what the leaves are changing here. It was inc it's incredible here. There you have mostly green with a little bit of yellow here and there, and then some brown leaves in between. So it's just kind of like, I mean, it, there's leaf change, but it's like, Right? The only red trees were planted around buildings where they had planted red trees. There's no native red trees. So as we drive home today, you look on the sides of the road and you'll see sumac. These are weeds that are turning red. And you'll see um, bittersweet crawling over the fences that are turning be beautiful, brilliant orange, uh, yellows. And you'll see the sugar maples. They don't have sugar maples there. If they do, man, they just don't look like they look here. We get oranges and, and these deep scarlets. And man, the color is so good here. But you guys probably drive by these colors every fall, and you're just like, ah, leaves are changing again. Actually, you probably drive down the road, and you're like, yeah, the snow's coming. <laughs> you have no appreciation. People fly in from all over the planet to see the leaf changes here in the Northeast, and you're, all you're doing is you're looking at the leaves saying, snow's coming. God's given you this beauty, and all you can do is complain. Are you ready for something? This I got from the conference. I'll share this one. If God isn't thrown on our praises, which he is, right? The word says that God is enthroned on our praises. If God's enthroned on our praises, who's enthroned when we complain? 
Uh-oh. Shake that off. I'll say it again. <laughs> That's rough. I heard that. I was like, it's oh, oh. a, a hard word. I don't want to complain anymore, ever. Who's, who's enthroned when we complain? What a word. That's just one thing. All right, let's wrap this up. Don't be weird. <laughs> That's my last line. Okay, I'm not kidding. Don't be weird. Listen, you're already a peculiar people. The Bible tells us that you are a peculiar people. Don't be weird. 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 What does weird look like? Your neighbor's going to tell you. If your neighbor says, hey, you're being weird, it's because they love you and they want your witness to have power. Don't be weird. So we, I went to, uh, I'll tell you, it's, I, I was invited to go to another conference before we went to these two conferences. I went to a Todd White conference. And so they gave us just, they, so the Todd White conference is like this. You come and hear a message, and then they send you out to witness on the streets that day right after hearing the message. So like after this morning session, okay, go out and share the love of Jesus with people. And then come back and tell us what happened. And then we have a two o'clock session, and then go out and share Jesus with people. And then come back and tell us what happened. And so this happened every day for three days. And so one of the things that they said was, don't be weird. And so I'm going to have my wife come up here. And so they say, you always go out two by two because that's what Jesus said, right? And so if someone's witnessing, right, and you're with them because you're two by two, she's engaging someone in conversation, and she starts to get weird, I'm just going to go over and be like, and that's her cue that, hey, she's getting weird. And she knows that, thank, thank you, honey. And she knows that she needs to stop being weird. There's something that is being weird because we can't recognize weirdness in ourselves. Oftentimes we have trouble recognizing pride in ourselves because I can never have pride. <laughs> I'm too humble to have pride. <laughs> we can't recognize when we're weird, so we need our friends to tell us. Everybody look to your left. Everybody look to your right. Those are your friends. These are the people that are going to tell you when you're getting weird. These are the people that are going to... We're a family. We're the family of God. We're the family of God. Now, when you're telling your friend that they're being weird, you need to tell them gently that they're being weird. I don't know why I went so far on the weird. I didn't think it was that big a deal when I wrote my notes. Come on, let's wrap this up. Father, we thank you today. God, I pray that this week, God, we would be able to behold who you are. God, that you would open our eyes to the glory of who you are. God, through reading your word, through worship songs that we might listen to, God. God, that you would open our eyes to the glory of who you are. God, we want to behold your glory. We want to see you in all of your brilliance, in all of your wonder. Jesus, that we would be changed from glory to glory. God, that we would be changed from glory to glory.
that the Spirit of the Lord would transform us from the inside as we gaze upon your beauty, as we gaze upon your holiness, as we gaze upon your great love for us. God, come and do a work in us. Come and do a work on the inside. Touch our hearts, God. Touch our hearts, God. God, we want to be more like you. God, we want to love like you. We want to care like you. God, I pray that you would break our hearts for the lost the way your heart breaks for the lost. God, I pray that you would uh, work a deep work in our hearts. God, take these hearts of stone and give us hearts of flesh. God, that would care for what you care for. Jesus. Jesus, you can do all things. And God, we pray today, God, that you would come and have your way on the inside. God, that you would come and have your way in our lives. God, we submit our will to you. And God, we want to be the seed that falls upon the good ground that yields 30, 60, and 100-fold, God. God, we're tired of being that seed that's choked out by the cares of life, God. No more. God, that you would have your full will in our life. That you would have your full will in our life. If you're here today and you're like, man, what's he talking about? This relationship with Jesus and everything. You know, I've never heard anybody ever talk about this like this before. If you've never made Jesus Christ Lord and Savior of your life, I want to pray with you right now. If that's you and you want to say that and you want to pray and you want to ask Jesus Christ to be your Lord and Savior, I want you to pray with me right now. It's simple. You just say, Lord Jesus, I'm a sinner. Come and forgive me of my sin. Help me to live for you all of the days of my life. Lord, I will follow you and obey your commands in all that I do. In Jesus' name, amen. If that's you and you prayed that prayer today, there's a box on the back side that says, today I follow Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior for the first time. If that's you and you prayed that prayer, check that box. When you hand it in, I'm going to mail you some information that explains the decision that you've made and what some of the next steps that you can take in your walk with Christ, what it means to follow the Lord. Maybe you've committed to the Lord. There's a box on there for that. There's two more boxes down here that say, this week I will spend time beholding the Lord. If that's your commitment this week, check that box. Or maybe you need to check the box underneath that. This week I will allow God to transform me. I'm checking both boxes because I need more of that every single day. Amen. We're going to receive the offering. Brother Fred, if you'll come up.